Good morning. The reading today is from James, verse 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all ways. Thanks, Pat. Well, are there any uh, armchair quarterbacks out there? Uh, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, the dictionary defines an armchair quarterback as someone who gives opinions about something without having direct knowledge or experience of it. It's like if you go to a Sabres and the Sabres are on a power play and they're passing the puck around and trying to set up a play. Hundreds of people, who, none of whom ever played hockey, and they're just yelling out, shoot, shoot. And you got to wonder if, they're, if the players are thinking to themselves, huh, never thought about that. Uh, we were just kind of planning on passing it around and playing around with it. I never actually thought about shooting it towards the net. Or when we're watching the Bills game, Josh Allen goes back for a pass, and we see a lineman running after him, and we're like, throw the ball, throw the ball, as if he never thought about that as if his intention was to be run over by a 300-pound lineman. I'm an armchair quarterback, and I used to be even more an armchair quarterback. And uh, I used to watch football. I never played football growing up. I never played in high school. My school didn't have a football team. Uh, but me and my brother used to play football a lot in our backyard. And... I was pretty good at throwing, I could throw pretty far, I was pretty accurate, and I remember watching football and thinking, I should be able to do that, I can throw pretty well, I can throw on target, how hard can it be? So when I was in college, I decided that we were going to join a football team, me and my brother were going to join this uh, Christian recreational football team. Well, it was anything but recreational. Uh, we got there and it wasn't just people going out and, you know, playing touch football, these teams studied. These teams practiced. And, and I remember looking and the, the quarterback on the other teams had like, some of them had wristbands with different plays. And we show up with a group of guys we haven't really played together and we're just trying to throw plays. And literally I got to a point where some plays I was just like, okay, tell me where you're going and I'll try to get it to you. And I literally had no idea where the, the, the receivers were going to go to. But the worst part was, we didn't really have much of an offensive line. And nobody really wanted to play offensive line. And if you're not familiar with football, the offensive line are the people that kind of stand in front of the quarterback 
the quarterback being the one that person that throws the ball, and they block for the quarterback, so the quarterback has time to throw the ball. Nobody really wanted to play uh, on the line, and so I remember a couple times I would try to get people to play on the line, and I remember there were a few times where there would be three people on the line ready to block, and I'd get the ball, I'd snap the ball, and then I'd look, and two of them are gone going out to try to get passes. Meanwhile, everybody's running after me. It was a rough experience, and after that I realized it's not just a matter of throwing the ball. There's a lot more that's involved with it. But it's easy when you're on the sidelines, when you haven't played before or haven't experienced something, to have opinions about it. And I think the same thing is true in regards to our Christian life. It's easy to be an armchair Christian. We know the answers for other people's struggles. We know what they should do. We know how they should handle a difficulty. We know all the different Christian answers, but have we really been in the game? What does it mean to, to be in the game spiritually? It means to experience testing. In verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The word for trials can also be translated as tests. Being tested is going into the game. A football player or a hockey player or any sports player, they practice so that they might be tested in a game. A game is essentially being tested against another opponent. I mean, can you imagine a person who uh, wanted to be a quarterback and they could throw the ball 90, 90 yards, but they never played on a football field and they never played in a football game, but they threw it 90 yards. That would be pretty impressive, but there would be no context for that. There'd be no way to know how good they really were because there was no testing. There'd be no way for that person to improve when you got to a certain point because there'd be nobody challenging them. When you're not being tested, you're not being challenged. James tells us to count it all joy when we meet tests of various kinds because when we're tested, we're in the game. We have this kind of measuring stick so to speak, to, to not only demonstrate where we are at in our faith, but also to bring us to the next level in our faith, to grow us into what God wants us to become. And without that kind of testing, I don't think that spiritual growth is truly possible. Without being challenged, we can't grow. Charles Spurgeon once said this, We cannot be established except for by suffering. It is of no use our hoping that we shall be well-rooted if no March winds have passed over us. The young oak cannot be expected to strike its roots so deep as the old one. Those old gnarlings on the roots and those strange twistings on the branches all tell of many storms that have swept over the aged tree. But they're also indicators of the depths into which the roots have dived. Now the question we have to consider is, does God test us? Does God test us? And I think clearly in Scripture the answer is yes, God does test us. Psalm 11, verse 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his whole soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Deuteronomy 8, 2 says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. In John chapter 6, Jesus tested someone, just tested Philip, says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
And so we also see in Scripture that God tested some of his most faithful servants. He tested Job as he allowed Satan to take away his possessions and his family. He tested Joseph as Joseph was sold unjustly and put in a dungeon, accused unjustly. We see that God tested Abraham when he called Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. We see that Jesus himself was tested in the wilderness. But though, Jesus, though God tests us, the scripture is also clear that God never tempts us. He tests us, but he doesn't tempt us. If you look just a few verses later from the, the verses that we just read in verses 13 to 16, James says this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So what's the difference between testing and tempting? Testing is an opportunity to refine and deepen our faith. That's what a test is. It's a challenge that causes us to go deeper. Tempting is an opportunity to either extinguish or diminish our faith. When I was growing up, I remember uh, the house that we grew up at, we, didn't, we lived on a very busy street. I wasn't able to ride my bike uh, in our driveway very much or on the street because it was so busy. So I remember going across the street and my dad taking me across the street where there was this huge parking lot. And I remember riding around on my bicycle and at first I had training wheels. And then there came a time when it was time to take those training wheels off. And I don't remember exactly what my dad said, but I imagine he said something like this, it's time, you can do this. You can do it without the training wheels. You don't need that anymore. And he took those training wheels off, and of course, I did fine. Eventually, in the course of riding my bike, I fell and scraped my knee, but that was to expect, be expected. I got back up and kept going. Now, when my dad took the training wheels off, was he doing that hoping, oh, I hope he falls? I hope he loses his balance? Of course not. He wasn't doing that. He was doing that because he knew that I could do it. He was doing that because he knew I didn't need those training wheels anymore, and he was doing that because he knew that I wouldn't be able to truly learn how to ride a bike unless those training wheels were off. And I think that's a picture of what God does when he tests us. He tests us as believers not so that we would fail, but because so that we would grow and succeed in our faith. In verse 3, James says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The word for testing here is a word that's not used often in Scripture. It's only used a few times, but every time it's used, it's used in the context of gold or silver or precious metal being refined, where it's heated up to remove those impurities. And so when God tests us, it's in essence, he's heating up the, the circumstances of our lives to remove those parts of us that are not in line with his purposes and his plan. And so believers can rejoice, James says, because in that testing, he's strengthening and refining that faith. And the, James tells us the result of that refining and testing is steadfastness. The idea of steadfastness is the idea of remaining under something, the idea of being 
able to carry a heavy burden for a long period of time. As you're tested, you've developed this ability to be able to carry the burdens of life like maybe you couldn't five or 10 or 15 years ago. As our faith is deepened, we're able to handle more in our life. Just like a bodybuilder would go to the gym and lift weights so that he can uh, lift progressively more and more, God puts us through challenges so that our strength, our faith may be strengthened so that we can face more and more. And James tells us to let steadfastness have its full effect so that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The goal for all of us is perfection or completion, that we would all be devoted to God in all things. And this is something we strive for, but I don't think we ever fully achieve it in this lifetime. The Greek word that's translated as complete is the Greek word teleos, which according to Peter Hardin, uh, this Greek word was usually a translation from the Hebrew word, which means unblemished, undivided, complete, or whole. He says the concept expresses the giving of one's heart to God unconditionally, above all that rejects idolatry of the worship of other gods. That's where we're headed. That's where God wants to bring us so that our hearts are fully devoted to him, that our hearts are undivided, that we don't have different things we're chasing after, that the most important thing in our life is our relationship with him. And so we see the progression again. We see testing strengthens our faith and leads to steadfastness that we're able to hold more, to bear up under the weight of life, to have increased faith, and then that leads to perfection or completeness. I like to go birding, and the thing about birding is that sometimes it seems like a waste of time. Uh, because the birds that I look for, they're migratory, and you can only find them in certain places and at certain times throughout the year. And so I've gone a number of times to places and looked for birds and never found them. Um, and sometimes it feels like I'm just spinning the wheels. And I remember last year, particularly, um, I was looking for this owl. It was called a northern sawwet owl, a little, little tiny owl. And the only place that you can really have much of a chance of seeing them is a place called uh, Braddock Woods. It's called Owl Woods in Rochester. And it's about an hour and a half away. And so I was kind of you know, following the sightings of people who had seen them online. And I decided I was going to go up there to see these owls. I drove up there an hour and a half each way, didn't see anything. So I thought, wasted my time. But then I was persistent. I was steadfast. I decided I'd try again. And the second time, I believe, when I went up there, people had been seeing these owls just about every day that week, and I couldn't go till a Saturday. And they'd seen them just about every day, and I went there on a Saturday. There was nothing. It's like, why have I wasted all this time? Why have I driven all this way? So then I finally decided I was going to try a third time. This time, Stephanie went up with me, and if I didn't find them there, it probably was going to be the last time. And so I got up there, and we looked around, and we found one of these owls. And for me, I was ecstatic. I mean, I was able to get like 10 feet away from the owl, and it was just kind of looking at me and eating its lunch and wasn't scared of me at all, and it was awesome. Stephanie wasn't that interested. She's like, it's nice, it's a bird. But it, it really made my day. But I think about that, and I've, 
experienced that, and if I wasn't steadfast in going up there three times, I wouldn't have ever seen that owl and got to experience that. And I think in the same way, when we're steadfast, when we persevere in our faith, we get to experience God in a way that maybe we've never experienced Him before. He refines us. He changes our hearts. And maybe as we're following after Him, as we're persevering, we find that we love Him more than we ever loved Him before. And we find that He's the only one that we really need in our life, that even if everything else is taken away, He's enough for us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, 13 to 19, prays a prayer for believers who are once again uh, dealing with difficulties and trials. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from, where every, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we're steadfast in our faith, we get to experience the love of God and the love of Christ in a way we've maybe never experienced Him before. And as God refines us and brings us closer to what he wants us to become, like Christ, closer to perfection, we find that we start to love him more. We start to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what God intends for us. That's the goal that we're aiming towards. But that doesn't happen without testing. You see, deep faith comes from deep testing. Deep faith comes from deep testing. It's impossible or close to impossible for a person who's never worked out in their life to go into a gym and bench press 250 pounds. I mean, maybe it could happen if someone was just extraordinarily strong, but most likely it's not going to happen. And the same thing is there could be a miracle and God could just cause your faith to grow in an incredible way without trials, but most of the time it takes a trial, it takes a test. For our faith to be deepened. But we need to know one other thing. If we're going to develop steadfastness, if we're going to develop deep faith, we need to have wisdom. Scholar Douglas Moo defines wisdom this way. He says, wisdom is the means by which the godly can both discern and carry out the will of God. Wisdom is the means by which the godly can discern and carry out the will of God. In the ancient Jewish world, Jewish writings, there was often this association between wisdom and steadfastness. That is, you had to have wisdom if you're going to persevere in your faith and do what all God calls you to do. Proverbs 2, we see a link between wisdom and living a faithful life. Proverbs 2 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and preserving the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So if we're going to be steadfast, if we're going to persevere, we need to have wisdom because honestly the circumstances in our lives are often such that we don't know exactly which way we should go. And so we need the wisdom to discern the direction that we would go that would be most honoring to God. 
James says all we need to do to get that wisdom is ask of God. It says in the text that he gives generously without reproach. He'll, when we ask, he's not going to condemn us. He's not going to reproach us because we don't know what we need. It says in the text that he gives generously. He says all we have to do is ask with faith without doubting. Now this verse doesn't mean that we'll never have any doubts, we'll never have any wavering in our faith, but most likely what James is referring to here is what Douglas Mooks calls a strong kind of doubting. A basic division within the believer that brings about wavering and inconsistency of attitude towards God. It's a person that isn't sure whether or not they want to follow God. A person who's not sure about God's character, and so maybe they ask of God, but they're not really that interested in hearing the answer or sure that God really will answer. But if we ask in faith, without doubting, without wavering, Scripture says God gives generously. He'll show us the way. Elsewhere in other passages it says that He'll give us the Holy Spirit to guide us. So where are we at today? Some of us maybe we're experiencing testing and we're not sure how to respond in a way that's honoring to God. And some of us, maybe we're just not sure if we can keep going. And so maybe some of us need to cry out to God and say, God, I don't know how to handle this on my own anymore. I need your wisdom. I need your Holy Spirit to guide me in this circumstance in my life. I can't face this trial on my own. Some of us, maybe we're facing a test today, and we've been persevering through that test We've been faithful, we're developing that steadfastness in our heart, but we're kind of wondering if we're accomplishing anything. And we're questioning whether we should give up. And if that's you, this passage encourages us that when you're facing a trial, God is creating something beautiful in you. When you're facing a trial, God is creating that deep faith in you. And so we can rejoice even in the midst of difficulty because of what he's doing. Others of us here, maybe we're, never, we're not facing a trial right now. And if that's you, don't feel bad that you're not facing a trial. The trials will come. We don't have to seek out, seek out trials and tests. They'll come. But let's be ready to face those trials. Let's pray now for that wisdom when the trial does come. Let's pray that God will keep us from temptation that would stay on the path that God has for us when the, temp the test comes. Everett Koop was the former Surgeon General uh, of the United States, and he was a vocal opponent of abortion. And he helped deliver a child, a young boy, who was, uh, had severe handicaps. And after the child was born and after a period of time, he asked the parents, he said, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And the mother said it was having our son, whose name was Paul, he was born with defects that required 37 operations to correct. Then I asked, what's the best thing that ever happened to you? She said, having our son Paul born with defects that require 37 operations to correct. Coop goes on to explain, he says, I know what she means. It's been terribly hard on them, but through the experience, they've grown enormously as a family. They've had a remarkable spiritual awakening. One of their sons is now in law school planning to defend the rights of the handicapped. Paul has now had 55 operations with one more schedule. 
Despite the hardships, it's been an overwhelmingly positive experience for them. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who endures trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If you experience trials today, believer, you can rejoice. Because God's creating something beautiful in you. God's creating deep faith inside of you. Because deep faith comes from deep testing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're God who never tempts us, who's never uh, inclined to evil. But we know that you allow us to face things in our life that are difficult, sometimes to challenge our faith and to make us more like you. Lord, I pray that we would cry out to you for wisdom. We pray that you'd give us wisdom in those circumstances, Lord, that we would know the way to go, that you'd produce steadfastness in our hearts. And as you do that, Lord, we pray that you'd make us more like your son, Jesus. That our hearts would be undivided, that our hearts would be focused on the greatness of who you are, that we'd be able to experience your love in a way that we've never experienced your love before. Lord, for those of us who are going through trials right now, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be encouraged to know that even in the midst of difficulty, they can rejoice because you bring beauty out of ashes. And even in the difficulty, you create deep faith inside of us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.